Yeah, so you heard that we have just finished our series on prayer. It was called, Can You Hear Me Now? That's what we called the series as a whole. And uh, we tackled a lot of different questions, a lot of different thoughts. And uh, I, I encourage you, if you missed any or if you'd, you'd like to investigate, to go back and look at some of those. But we're starting a new series this morning. And the series is called, What Difference Does It Make? But let me, let me preface that a little bit. This is how I want you to, to think, where I want to set your mind before we begin. See, I'm picking up this in our culture, that faith, religion, and spirituality are becoming increasingly subjective. The more conversations I have about God or some kind of deity and spirituality, the more I hear, well, this works for me, what I do works for me, but you need to find what works for you. And for some people, that's having no faith at all. For some, that's uh, taking a little bit here and there and mixing them together into something new. You can almost, you can almost use the analogy of like a mall, uh, like a mall food court. Sometimes I remember with my family, we would go in and one of us would want Subway, so we'd dart that way, and the other person would want A&W and so on. And, and I feel like our culture is kind of approaching spirituality that way right now. You could get a, a Coke from this faith and then go and get your fries over there and, and whatever you like, if that's the meal that you want, then you can have it. But amidst all this, you find some faiths that still claim to be exclusive. And Christianity is one of those. So with all those conversations, with all those voices, suddenly Christianity stands up in front of everybody and says, you actually don't get to pick and choose. You don't get to say, I like this part, so I'm going to incorporate that, and I like this part, so I'm going to incorporate that. Christianity says, either you believe in Jesus and you follow him, or you go to hell, which is a very in-your-face statement. It's a bold statement to a culture that loves variety and hates exclusivity. But there are more important things, in my opinion, than being inclusive and allowing for variety. Like the truth. When I was in high school, I used to prefer math and science as classes over things like English and drama because I knew that in math and science, there were right and wrong answers. Drama, you can be a little bit creative with it. English, we can plot twist. But in math and science, the answer is the answer. And Christianity isn't even the only one that says, this is it, there's no swaying from this. But if there's more than one that say that, then they can't all be right. And I personally believe, and I hope you believe, that too much hangs in the balance to be subjective. Something can feel right or suit my preferences in this life, but is choosing my faith based on feeling or suiting my preferences of greater importance than pursuing the truth? We can't afford to be subjective. Because if what I do here affects what happens later, I want to be on track with whatever's the right thing. 
And that's why I brought this this morning, because uh, you may have seen this before. I believe Francis Chan did this analogy, but for a little bit of a different reason. Pretend this rope is your life, and pretend that this rope goes on forever, past that door, and just keeps going. If this is your life on into eternity, pretend this is your life here on earth. Are you going to try and be picky in this part and then be subject to whatever happens as a result on into eternity? That's a concern of mine. And so I want to make sure that I get this right so that that lines up with what I hope it lines up with. That little piece represents your life here. It represents your birth. It represents your choices. It represents your marriage, your family, your career. It represents who you share the gospel with. It represents your relationship with Jesus. And all of that has an impact on what happens after. So are you going to spend all that living according to your preferences when how you live here affects all of that? The way I feel is that if there is one truth and there's only one and it's right, I have to discover it and follow it. We have to search for whatever is true. And I'm here at the harbor this morning, and if you're online uh, or watching later, thank you for joining us. Uh, I'm here this morning because my search so far in my life has led me here. And I say so far because I'm open to being convinced that it's wrong, but I believe that I will never be convinced that it's wrong because I know God. I have a relationship with him. I have encountered him, and he has changed my life. And that's not something that I feel that I can be convinced out of. And if you're here and you believe and follow Jesus this morning, I hope that you come to the same conclusion. And there are different ways that we make it here. For some, it's, it's going through books that argue for, for reason that lines up with the Christian faith. It's watching debates about philosophy and, and the search for truth. Sometimes it's going on a spiritual journey and opening the door to everything and then meeting Christ along the way without doing any research on facts or history. Sometimes it's crossing paths with another believer whose life has been radically transformed because of an encounter with Jesus. There are all kinds of different ways we make it here. But when other people come along and they see that you believe, they see that you're living this part because of how that affects all of that part, they might ask you, what difference does it make? And this morning, and for the rest of this series, we're going to address that in terms of the word transformation. How does the Christian faith, how does our relationship with Christ and our, our choice to walk in His ways, how does that transform our life? Everything from birth to salvation to baptism to death and on. What difference does Christianity, a relationship with God, make? 
You see, in Bible college, and, and I believe that this is an important subject, because in Bible college, where I studied to do what I'm doing now, our first class was called Spiritual Formation. It was a two-week intensive where we poured through the scriptures, listened to different messages, reflected inwards, and made the decision of whether or not, if we hadn't made it already, of whether or not we, gonna, we were going to pursue Christ, pursue the truth, no matter what the cost. See, the Christian life is a life that proposes radical transformation in so many areas. Your family, your community, your life, your emotions, your, your outlook on life, your worldview, everything is affected radically when you choose to believe in God. It changes your heart. Ezekiel 36, 26 says, I will remove your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. Matthew 4.19 says, Come, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Those are changes. Those are changes that the Bible is proposing. And just so you have the whole context, I'm going to be talking this morning about the individual. What does Christianity do for one, one person? What does a relationship with God do for you? Later on, you're going to hear about how God and how transformation affects your household, how it affects your community. And I'm not sure what else, to be honest, but I'm excited for those two. But this morning I'm talking about an individual. So in an individual sense, what difference does faith in Jesus make? What does it change? And the short answer is, it changes everything. That's why testimonies have such impact. That's why everything we do has so much of a kingdom value. Because people will watch that and watch the other ones that people have shared or, or listen to the conversations that happen outside of this place and say, well, if Jesus could have that effect on their lives, imagine what kind of effect he could have on mine. It changes everything. Now, the long answer takes a little bit longer, and that's where I'm going to take us this morning. Uh, but before I go any further, I want to share some scripture. So this morning we're looking at John 1, verses 1 to 13. And then I'm also going to share verses, uh, verse 16 after that. So starting at John 1, verse 1. In the beginning, the Word already existed. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. He existed in the beginning with God. God created everything through Him, and nothing was created except through Him. The Word gave life to everything that was created, and His life brought light to everyone. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness can never extinguish it. God sent a man, John the Baptist, to tell about the light so that everyone might believe because of his testimony. And John himself was not the light. He was simply a witness to tell about the light. The one who is the true light, who gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He came into the very world he created, but the world didn't recognize him. He came to his own people, and even they rejected him. But to all who believed him and accepted him, he gave the right to become children of God. They are reborn, not with a physical birth resulting from human passion or plan, but a birth that comes from God. And then jumping down to verse 16, it says, From his abundance... We have all received one gracious blessing after another. And for the rest of this 
message just so that I don't say spiritual transformation over and over and over again. I'm going to refer to it as interacting with light because this, this passage told us that his light came into the world, that people accepted his light or neglected his light. So from now on for the rest of this message, I'm going to refer to it as the light. So what happens when you let the light in? Well, when you let the light in, God exchanges darkness for light, bondage for freedom, and eternal damnation for eternal life, which I really celebrate because that makes a huge difference in my life and in my eternity. If we look at death to life, Ephesians 2, 1 to 5 says, Once you were dead because of your disobedience and your many sins, you used to live in sin just like the rest of the world, obeying the devil the commander of the powers in the unseen world. He's the spirit at work in the hearts of those who refuse to obey God. All of us used to live that way, following the passionate desires and inclinations of our sinful nature. By our very nature, we were subject to God's anger just like everyone else. But God is so rich in mercy and he loves us so much that even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. It is only by God's grace that you have been saved, and I hope you're rejoicing with me this morning for that. Again, talking about death, Romans chapter 6, verse 23 says, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of eternal life, sorry, the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. That's all the difference I need. There's going to be more, but that's all the difference I need. I'll sign my life away for that, for freedom, for hope, for eternal life, for relationship with my Maker. That's all I need. He takes us from bondage to freedom. Romans 6 verses 16 says, Do you not know that you're present, at, that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you're slaves of the one whom you obey, either to sin, which leads to death, or to obedience, which leads to righteousness. So there's freedom. John eight thirty six says, Whom the Son sets free is free indeed. It's checked, it's signed, sealed, delivered. When we give him our lives, we become free. And that's it. 2 Corinthians 3.17 says, Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. And when you invite Christ in, his Spirit comes to dwell in our hearts. See, a relationship with God, we see sometimes as a vertical thing. We call him the man upstairs. We don't know how high he is, but he's far above us. But if you look at the Israelites and their relationship with God, they built the tabernacle as soon as they left Egypt in the desert, and it moved, but they, they kept it in the, the camp with them. And the presence of God dwelled in that tabernacle. So if you ask them, where is God? He would say, he's right over here. His presence is right near us. And it's the same now because that spirit that raised Christ from the dead lives in each of us. That's why the scriptures say, your body is a temple. Because the Spirit's in you. He's right there. It's a close proximity. And because he's there, there's freedom. I can't help but think again about uh, Don Brown when he shared his message about, about prayer. He talked about, uh, he had these towels, this white towel and this, this darker towel. And he said he had a vision after he invited Christ in and it was like, this, this light, this clean, this cleanliness was coming in and all this darkness and, and evil and wickedness was coming out. That's freedom. 
John 3, 16 to 17, one of the most famous passages says, For this is how God loved the world. He gave his one and only Son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. God sent his Son into the world not to judge the world, but to save the world through him. So we also go from eternal damnation to eternal life. 2 Corinthians 4.17 says, For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs everything in this life. John 17.3 says, Now this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. So eternal life isn't just about living forever. It's about living with your maker forever. So that's what happens when you invite the light in. But there's more. It doesn't stop there. When you have the light in you, you can walk in it. And that looks like a lot of different things. That looks like spending time with God. That could be prayer. That could be reading the word. That could be just thinking about him, meditating on scripture. You worship him because of what he's done, because of who he is. I realized partway through Bible college that even if Jesus never died on the cross, because of who he is, because of his righteousness and his holiness, even if he never died for me and I had no hope at all, he would still be worthy of all of my worship. Have you ever thought about that? So when the light's in us, it leads us to worship him. It leads us to fellowship with other people who believe. Naturally, when we have things in common, we celebrate them. One of the most exciting things about being here together again, at least in some capacity, is that I get to see people worship. I get to see people interact. I could actually hear voices interacting before the service started this morning, and I was so thankful for it. When you walk in the light, he keeps you from stumbling. He helps you... He helps you resist sin and temptation. Psalm 56.13 says, For you have rescued me from death. You've kept my feet from slipping. So now I can walk in your presence, O God, in your life-giving light. It helps us maintain right relationship with one another. 1 John 1.7 says, But if we are living in the light as God is in the light, then we have fellowship with each other, and the blood of Jesus, his Son, cleanses us from all sin. So again, we have that in common. It guides us. His light shows us where to go. Psalm 119, 105, another famous one. Your word is a lamp for my feet, a light unto my path. This light gives us hope. Isaiah 40, 31, another famous one. But those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. We have hope this morning. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. So we can rest in him. John 1.5 says, The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Don't forget that verse that I shared at the beginning this morning. The darkness cannot overcome the light. There's no winning for the darkness. It helps us maintain our spiritual health. My favorite psalm is actually Psalm 1, not because I didn't get through all of them, but because I love the picture that it presents. I love imagery and Psalm 1 talks about the person who doesn't fall for all the things of the world, but instead delights in God and in all his words. 
is like a tree in verse 3. It says, they're like trees planted by rivers of water, which already sounds great for me because I'm from the north. Bearing fruit in its season, the leaves never wither, and in whatever he does, he prospers. But the thing is, if you've, if you've ever like, investigated the actual words of that verse, it says, bearing fruit in its season, their leaves never wither. If a tree's leaves are there, it's producing fruit. Think about it. So I'm always going to be producing fruit because my leaves are never going to be withering. And I'm always healthy. The light in me takes away my fear. When I walk in the light, Psalm 27.1 says, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? The light makes God known to us. In our relationship with him, we get to know him more. Now, God is so vast and incomprehensible that we will never know him fully, which is honestly something that I love. I love the fact that there's a mysterious aspect to God because if I could limit him, he wouldn't be as great as he is. 2 Corinthians 4, 6 says, For God, who said, Let light shine out of darkness, has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. So he can be known by us. The light brings wisdom and understanding. Psalm 119, 130 says, The unfolding of your words gives light. It imparts understanding to the simple. I don't know about you, but I study this all the time and I still feel simple. God is so wise and he shares that with us. And lastly, when you walk in the light, so we've said it changes everything. It gives you hope. It takes away eternal damnation and gives us eternal glory. It takes us from darkness to light, from death to life. When we walk in it, it does all these things. It helps us stay healthy. It shows us where to go. It makes God known to us, gives us wisdom and understanding. But also, when you walk in the light, it shines. 2 Corinthians 4, 6 says, For God, who said, Let light shine out of darkness, has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. You are, you are the light of the world, like a city on a hilltop that cannot be shaken, or hidden, sorry. No one lights a lamp and then puts it under a basket. Instead, a lamp is placed on a stand where it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your good deeds shine out for all to see so that everyone will praise your Heavenly Father. And I don't know about you guys, but on my phone, I have a brightness setting. But notice it didn't say anything about the intensity of the light here. There was light, or there was no light. Now the Bible talks about uh, our, uh, us being like water, says you can be hot and you can be cold and Jesus doesn't like the lukewarm but it never talks about the dimness or the brightness of this light God dwells in unapproachable light but it doesn't talk about the intensity of the light that comes from us and I think there's a reason for that right before that passage about the light of the world Jesus says you are the salt of the earth but what good is salt if it has lost its flavor 
can you make it salty again? It will be thrown out and trampled underfoot as worthless. And that word trample, I don't like it because it sounds strong. It sounds oppressive. So I looked it up in what's called a concordance. And if you don't know what that is, that's a tool for reading the Bible that helps you bridge words to find them again later in a different place in the Bible. So I did that with the word trample, and I found this in Hebrews 10, 26 to 29. Right before that, in verses 19 to 25, the writer of Hebrews is talking about what Jesus did. He rendered animal sacrifice not necessary anymore. It's obsolete. Because the Jews, before Christ came and died on the cross, they sacrificed animals according to the way that God instructed them to make their sins right before God. But it was temporary. It was never meant to do everything. And then Jesus came, and he rendered sacrifice obsolete. Other than Jesus, it wasn't necessary anymore. Now all you have to do is accept him and have a relationship with him. And, and again, just before this passage, it says, now we can approach him in faith because we know what he did opened the door for us to do that. But then... In Hebrews 10, 26 to 29, it says, Dear friends, if we deliberately continue sinning after we've received knowledge of the truth, there's no longer any sacrifice that will cover these sins. That's already intense, and I haven't even gotten to, tram- to trample yet. There's only the terrible expectation of God's judgment and the raging fire that will consume his enemies. For anyone who refused to obey the law of Moses was put to death without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. Just think how much worse the punishment will be for those who have trampled the Son of God, who have treated the blood of the covenant, which made us holy. Because remember, there were passages before this that were talking about everything that the blood accomplished. Which made us holy as if it were common and unholy and have insulted and disdained the Holy Spirit who brings God's mercy to us. So I found trample again, and I don't like it again. So what does trampling do? It implies that whatever you're trampling is worthless, is useless. If the salt loses its salt, it's useless. You might as well trample it. If we continue sinning even after we've accepted Christ, deliberately without conviction it's like trampling Jesus it's like treating the Holy Spirit as if it's useless that's intense it's intense for a reason because I think in God's opinion I think in God's mind just like hot and cold just like the Bible doesn't say dimness but it talks about lukewarm and God wants to spit lukewarm water out of his mouth There's no dimness setting here. From what I can see in the Bible, either your light is on or it's off. And I hope this convicts you this morning the same way it convicted me. I don't speak this to make you feel bad. I speak this because I found it in here and it's convicting me. It's making me want to chase after what's right and what's true. It's making me want to chase after God and share him with everyone that I know. So when you get the chance, do you shine your light or do you trample your lantern? I want to share one more story with you. And 
If you read the newsletter, you may have heard it already, but, but here's the story. There was a man who worked at a train station, and he had a really simple job. He held a lantern, and to keep people safe, he waved it when it was safe, or sorry, when he needed to stop. So if the train needed to stop, he would wave the lantern. They would see the light, and they'd stop. And so this man, his job is to do that. So one day he waves the lantern, and the train continues, and there's a big accident, and there's a big court case over it because somebody is at fault. So the, the prosecutor, I believe it's the prosecutor, asks him, did you wave the lantern? He says, yeah. They continue throughout the case. They ask different questions. They talk about different witnesses. But then they realize the case hinges on this question. So he asks him again. I know I've already asked you this, but I have to ask. Did you wave the lantern? Yeah, sure did. They continue again. They take different courses, different paths to try and find other loopholes in the case. But they realize this is it. If we can't figure out what happened here, it all closes. They go. There's no, there's no fault. So he asks him one more time, did you wave the lantern? He says, yes. So the case falls apart. They're without fault. Everything goes back to normal. And the defendant, sweating like crazy, comes up to him and says, wow, you really stayed stiff there. I'm surprised you didn't crack. And the, the man whose job, again, is to wave this lantern to warn people he says, oh, that was fine. I wasn't worried at all. I was worried he was going to ask if the lantern was on. We might be living, waving it, thinking we're making all this difference, thinking we're reaching into relationships, workplaces, communities, and again, we're going to talk about that more later on. But is that light on? That's what I need to address here this morning. What difference does it make if it's off? It actually sounds like it's worse if it was on before and it's off now. And this is the Bible. This isn't my opinion. I'm not sharing this with you like I came up with it. I've been studying it for a week trying to figure out if there's any other thing I can approach this from. But this is it. So wherever you are in your walk with God, in your search for whatever's true. I have three questions, and they approach three different areas. And I want you to think about this, too, if you're watching online or watching later. The first one is, will you let the light in? If you're searching, if you're looking for this truth, I promise you, you will not find it anywhere else. You'll spend your life searching and being disappointed and feeling empty. Nothing can change your life like Christ can Nothing can light up that emptiness, that darkness, like a relationship with God can. Will you allow him to bring the light in? The second one, maybe you have brought the light in, but you're not walking in it. Will you walk in the light? Will you get close to him, so close that you, you gain his wisdom, you gain his, his trust, you get to know him better, you get to know the truth better. 
your life changes even more for the better. Now it's not just safety from eternal life, it's, it's life getting better here in spite of whatever happens in this life. You can rejoice if you're walking in the light. So are you willing to do that this morning? Are you willing to go deeper with him than the surface? And lastly, will you shine your light? Maybe you know God. Maybe you know the scriptures. Maybe you have a great relationship with him, but something is holding you back from turning that light on somewhere. Will you shine it? And maybe nobody else is going to be there. Maybe you're in a context where it's just you and it's the scariest thing you could imagine. You still have to shine it. It goes on top of the hill. It goes on top of the table. That's what this purpose is. Will you shine your light? And that's up to you this morning. All of the answers to those questions are up to you. But if you want this transformation, if you want the difference that it makes, because it does make a difference, but whether or not it makes a difference hinges on whether or not you're open to these things. So are you open to those things this morning? And if you want to let the light in, if you've never gone there before and you say, hey, that sounds like something I'm interested in, I invite you If you're online, I invite you to send a message to the harbor. Find me. I have a weird last name. Maybe go through the harbor instead. Send a message to the harbor. Call the harbor's number. Find a way to reach out to one of us. If there's somebody here this morning and you've never let the light in, I encourage you, it will change your life for the better and for the better. The longer I walk with God, the more I realize he still keeps on blessing. My life continues to improve. And again, that doesn't mean that bad things aren't going to happen. That doesn't mean that one day I may not be able to pay the bills, but I have hope and I have faith and I can trust him and it's never going to be the end in a bad way. Even if I die here because I've brought him up somewhere, it's still a better way to live. So if you're here this morning and you want to let the light in, I invite you. Come talk to me. Find a a board member. Find one of the volunteers up here. Or Ashley, she's staff. My apologies. But I invite you, talk to somebody. And don't delay. Don't delay. This is important. Everything hinges on this. This little piece. And it goes far beyond what you can see there. Maybe you already believe in God. Maybe you've, you've confessed and you asked him to come into your life and he dwells in you. But will you walk in it? Are you going deeper? Or is it just on the surface? That's up to you. You got to open the book. You got to speak with him. Relationships don't come from distance. They come from conversations and closeness, fellowship. And will you shine your light? Even if you're the only one, even if everything around you is dark, even the dimmest light lights up a super dark place. My dad used to work in the mine. It was one of the darkest places, and all he needed was a headlamp, and he could find his way around. Will you shine your light?
And these are, these are reflective questions this morning. I don't want you, unless you, you want prayer or you want guidance with something, I want you to explore this with yourself. Measure your own heart. Where am I at? Where do I want to go? So to close this morning, we're going to sing a song. It's a song we've sung already this morning. It talks about shining your light and letting the whole world see that we're singing for the glory of the risen King because he's mighty to save. And he's the only one that can make that difference that we're talking about this morning. But the rest is up to you. Would you join us this morning?